A couple of weeks ago, we started a series called Being Human. And some of you who normally would be out in junior church won't have seen all of this. But there's no junior church this morning, so you're staying in with us. And I need to fill you in a wee bit on some things and probably need a little bit of help at some stage as well. And what we were thinking about on Sunday mornings when you go out to junior church is thinking in here about what it means to be human. Because there are lots of things that you have to think about. Last week, if you were here in church, we thought about being human and we thought about part of being human. Does anybody remember what it was? Big risk, I know. But does anybody remember what we were thinking about last Sunday? Anybody? Growing up? Yeah, we were thinking about being human and growing up. Well, when we started this series, one of the things we were talking about was um, being human and being made from the dirt. Well, the Bible says from the dust, but dust is sometimes just another name for dirt. And just to remember that that's where we come from in the very physical sense. God took the earth part of the earth and he molded a a human being and he breathed life into us. So we're a combination of everything that's around us and the breath that God gives us which makes us alive and makes us different and uh, that's a very important thing for us to remember. But it's also important for us to remember that we're made in the image of God and we used a coin to talk about that and and to, to think about that. And we thought about what we were made for. And we talked about how we were made for relationship, relationship with God, relationship with each other, relationship with other people, and also for glory. And if that sounds a bit strange, you might like to turn with me to Psalm 8. You'll find it on page 546 of the copies of the Bible that are in the pew. Page 546. And we use this picture, which is taken from the ceiling of a very famous building, painted by a man called Michelangelo. And it was one of his ways of, of depicting this idea that, you know, without the touch of God, without the breath of God and everything that God gives us, then you could be the most wonderful looking human being, but be lifeless. And the whole business of relationship with God, relationship with others, in some ways is captured in this, as well as other things that he was trying to say. But Psalm 8 is a, a, a very interesting psalm. And I read part of it earlier on, and I'd like us to read part of it together now. Um, let's read together um, the first five verses of Psalm 8. Okay, everybody can join in this. And if you've got a copy, um, or you don't have a copy of the Bible, there's some in the pew, or the person beside you might share with you. Okay, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. And you might like to turn back to Genesis chapter 1. That's very easy to find because you'll find that right at the very beginning of the Bible. Um, And it's it's the second part of that first chapter. You'll find it on page 4 of the copies of the Bible that's in the pew. 
So Psalm 8 is uh, a psalm which we were reading together there that talks about how we are created by God and also that God's purposes in creating us were very deliberate. And he, he knew what he was doing. He knew what he wanted to achieve with us. And this idea of being crowned with glory uh, is just a wonderful idea. It doesn't always seem that way. It doesn't always seem to work that way for us now. But that's what we were made for, relationship with God and also for glory. Now, I did say at the beginning of this series that one of the things I wanted people to do was to talk about it. And if they thought I'd done something wrong or there's something else that I could add or they could add that they would tell me. So somebody did very kindly and said one of the things that you forgot when you were talking about what we were made for was something very, very important and you completely forgot about it. And I did. So let's look at Genesis chapter 1 and then in a minute we're going to go back to Psalm 8 because these two are very important passages. And I'm going to read a little bit from Genesis chapter 1 and uh, from verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now when we were talking about being made in the image of God, we sort of touched on this ever so slightly, but really it belongs in here in the made for. What's the one thing in that passage that I've just read from Genesis chapter 1 that we were made for that isn't on that screen? Rule. Because it's very clear that God says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock, over all the earth. And then, in verse 28, it's repeated, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, if you go back to Psalm 8, shouldn't be too hard to find, page 546. And look at the other little bit of the psalm that we haven't read yet. And look at what it says in verse 6. It ends in verse 5. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim in the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And again, in Psalm 8, one of the key themes that's developed in Psalm 8 is the idea that you made him ruler over the works of your hands. A very important theme and a very important idea. 
But part of the question is, what does rule mean? And can you think of other words that might be helpful in describing God's purposes for humanity in ruling over the earth? I have thought of one, and it's on the screen, and I can't change it. So if you have a better idea, I'm sorry. You're going to have to live with mine in a minute, but I'd be interested to know what yours are. If you weren't using the word rule, what other word might you use? Any suggestions? Stewardship? Yep. Control? Sorry? Reign? Okay. Manage. Thank you, Susanna. And she didn't even see my slides. That's the one I was thinking of. The idea of being placed here to manage. It was a very deliberate part of the purposes of God. Not simply to make us for relationship with himself. Not simply to make us for relationship with each other. Not simply to crown us with glory, that his glory might be seen in other ways than simply um, in the glory of creation. But also to manage, to rule. Now, what do managers do? I think it's a, it's a very good word, but what do managers do? What kind of things does a good manager do? Any managers here can help us? Huh? A few around. What does a manager do? Takes charge. Tell other people what to do. Well, he's a retired manager, but yeah, he's, he's, he's spent his life doing that. Yes. <laughs> yep. So involve other people. Take charge. Take care. They plan things. Yes. What else? They make decisions. Take responsibility. Organize. Maintain direct resources. Okay. Now, is that how you think about how God created you for this earth? To take responsibility for it. Not just to be in a relationship with him. Not just to reflect his glory, but to rule, to manage, to do all the kinds of things that people have just been saying here. Because we tend to use everything that we see around us in, in the world, don't we? We dig it up and we make something of it like everything in here has been dug up from the earth or taken off the back of animals. Absolutely everything. The seats you're sitting on, the clothes you're wearing, uh, the microphones, the metal, everything. It all either comes from the earth or off animals. One of the two. And we're, used, we're good at that. We're, we're good at ruling in the sense of deciding what we want to do with things, with taking things and using them. And that can be a bit like sometimes um, a king or an emperor or someone who says, I want that and I'm having it and doesn't really care about the effects of it. And that's slightly different from a manager who looks at everything and thinks, now, how best can we use this? What are the implications of doing this or that or the other thing? How best can we ensure that everything works well? And we don't tend to think like that. I don't tend to think like that very often when it comes to using the earth's resources. But God put us here to rule, to manage. We're actually doing the work that God wants us to do when we're doing that well. Now, it's not that God couldn't do it. I'm quite sure he could. And it's not that God can't be bothered and has lots of other things to do in his universe. I mean, being aware of everything that's going on here is no big deal as far as God is concerned. And it's not that God doesn't care. It's that God has given us the privilege of managing his creation. The problem is that we have made the job very difficult for ourselves. 
Because one of the other things we talked about in being human was the fact that in being human, we've made a mess. And we made a mess, and the Bible explains all of this to us, because we made a mess of our relationship with God. We rebelled against God. We did things that God said we shouldn't do. And we're constantly doing that. And consequently, human life is not that easy sometimes. And even managing the earth is not that easy sometimes. And when God had to talk to Adam and Eve about the things that they were doing wrong, this is one of the things that he said. He said, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food. And we have made the job of managing the earth and doing what God asks us to do and created us to do more difficult by our own bad decisions and bad behaviour. And the way in which we use the earth's resources very often reflects bad decisions and bad behaviour. But it's still our job. It's still one of the reasons why you're here. Why God created us. And I have to say, it's really made me think a lot about my responsibility for all the things that I take for granted and use every day that come from the earth. Now, I can't say to lots and lots of, I can't even say to you right today, Here's what you're going to do to clean up this part or to manage that part or you're going to go and cultivate that. I can only take responsibility for what I have authority to do. But even that I don't do very well. And I wonder how many of us do and how many of us think like that. This is a very Christian way to think about why you're here. It's a very biblical way. And one of the songs that we were thinking about as we were thinking about this idea of made to manage the wonderful earth that God has created, was this song, All Things Bright and Beautiful, All Creatures Great and Small. So let's sing it together. Let's stand. I've brought someone along this morning who's going to help us think a little bit about how we can take a bit more responsibility here in Belfast in our own homes and some of the things we can do. Terry, would you like to come and join me? This is Terry Morrison. 
And Terry is running a project at the minute for Belfast City Council called the Faith Waste Project. Terry, it's a great name. It had me utterly confused when I first saw it. I thought it was some sort of statement about faith being a total waste of time, but it obviously isn't. It's something quite different. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the project? And if you come a wee bit closer, I'll pick you up on that. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Um, It's a bit of an oxymoron, if you ever heard that term. You know, put two ends together and they don't quite meet up. Two words that are the opposite. So um, I took on a role of being a project manager or officer for this project. I work actually for a charity called Sustainable Northern Ireland. And I think the word maintenance is probably a good word for being a manager, which makes me think I shouldn't try to manage too much in the family. I should try to improve. But I think maintenance is a good word for management. And what Sustainable Northern Ireland is trying to promote is sustainability, or if you want to put it, management of uh, resources and unfortunately I got the rubbish end of it namely uh, waste you can get excited over energy or saving money through heat loss or radiation from the sun but try to get somebody convinced to do things with their rubbish so what we're trying to do um, from this is uh, actually two groups and nobody's happy about it Christians and other faiths are not happy when we call it faith waste it's a waste of faith Um, environmentalists hate the thought that anything to do with faith would be linked with the environment so I'm on a road to no town as the man said but basically what we're trying to do is Belfast City Councils through their land tax credit money in other words every time you pay for a skip to go away it costs about £86 and the government takes something ridiculous like £51 out of it uh, to try and put you off (laughs) wanting a skip in the first place and they give a little of that money on projects to try and promote uh, waste minimisation so basically it's funded by Belfast City Council and our charity is running it does that? that helps now on the screen you can see on the screen in front of us here there's, there's some details about um, how much waste the council collects I was quite staggered by this every year Belfast City Council collects about 160,000 tonnes of waste generated by the 300,000 people living in Belfast that's roughly half a tonne a person that's an awful lot of waste it is indeed Uh, it also says here that about 5% of this is diverted from landfill which is a very nice way of saying 95% of it It goes into landfill so all our waste all this huge stuff just goes into (coughs) big holes in the ground but that's creating all kinds of problems for us I think isn't it it is and uh, can I just talk about the goal of the project Um, I'm old enough to realise that about 25 years ago you could have went to a number of groups political groups, working men's clubs um, you could pick anything and you could talk to a group of people like this about other things other than what they're there for does that make sense? Um, after taking on this role and also as a believer I came to realise there's only one group in Belfast you could actually go to talk to about other things that would be interested enough to go outside and gossip about it talk about it uh, and that's churches or faith groups so what we're trying to do is actually make contacts between faith groups now equity and equality being what it is in this world particularly Northern Ireland that means Uh, Protestant groups, Catholic groups other Christian groups, other religions and I've actually included groups that are philosophies does that make sense? People who don't believe so for example we have the Scientologists running around Great Victoria Street picking up litter 
they wouldn't be a, a, a belief group, some would say. They would say they are. The humanists are also doing the same. So it, it's very inclusive. It's try and also trying to involve various... <laughs> well, you know that. You've been at one of the gatherings. Uh, also trying to involve various ethnic groups so that we would have students from Queen's. So you're very much in the heart of it here, been near Queen's and the teaching hospitals. And we're trying to get faith groups... Could I just call it churches, since that's where I am at the moment, and I'll not be PC. We're trying to get the like of a church to realise that you can raise money or have benefit by diverting stuff that you don't want. Rubbish is a bad term because rubbish is what you put in the black thing. If you actually um, get rid of other stuff, and instead of putting it in the landfill site, actually have it of benefit to other people. In other words, you've probably heard of the three R's, reduce, reuse and recycle. A lot of people recycle. We're trying to particularly encourage reuse. And uh, try and raise money from that. Or for example, there's one group there raising, uh, collecting old mobile phones. They will then be recycled appropriately, the parts taken away and used in a different process. Or the phones will be reused uh, for certain work in Africa. Um, if you collect cans, you can get money for cans. So it's trying to give benefit to other groups. So we're linking in churches or faith groups with charities like Oxfam, Trocra, um, Tear Fund. Anybody that can go to a charity shop, for example, give your goods to them and they'll have some benefit for it. Excellent. Well, there's obviously a big issue here and the council are very interested in, in all of this because of the difficulties that um, the more we don't do this kind of thing and the more rubbish we generate uh, without re- recognising its value, the bigger the problems are for the environment. I've brought along bins this morning because this is one of the ways in which many people, as well as using charity shops that you were talking about, mm-hmm. um, can actually make a difference. How many people here have um, three bins or more than one bin provided Oh yeah, okay, lots of you. So lots of you should know more about this than I do because when we lived in Osterville Avenue, we only had the one bin because Osterville Avenue is a difficult kind of place to police. Uh, There's just so many people and so many bins and I think we go down the bottom of the list for all of this kind of thing. But we have brought a few of these bins with us this morning because the nice blue bin, these, I, I should explain to you, these bins are brand new. Well, the two, the, the blue and the brown are, they're spanking clean. They belong to my next door neighbour. I haven't got mine yet, so I nicked his and left a wee note through his door because he's in England at the minute so I'm hoping he doesn't mind um, so I did get a funny look from one of the other neighbours when I reversed into his drive and stole his bins but anyway um, the other bin at the far end is not the church bin which I was going to use this morning I went outside and discovered that our old bin must have been nicked or something and we've got a nice new spanking green bin which is not what I wanted so this comes from 127 Malone Avenue and you can tell a lot about a family by what they put in their bin. So if you want to know more about Dorothea and Helen, <laughs> and if there's an aroma of cat food coming out of it, don't be at all surprised. So that's where I've borrowed that bin from. But these bins uh, are, are, are quite popular. And one of the things I want uh, us to think about is just what we do with these kinds of things appropriately. This is Philippa Bin. She's the blue bin, isn't that right? She's very yes, well-named. Right. Yeah, And she can take all kinds of interesting stuff. Uh, like what? Cardboard. Well, basically, as you can see, she takes cardboard, um, cereal boxes, corrugated cardboard. Corrugated cardboard, if you think of, you know, a cardboard box, sometimes it's corrugated and then there's a, a paper lining over the side of the cardboard. 
uh, shoe boxes, clean frozen food boxes. Um, all I would say to you is make sure they're clean because all of this eventually goes somewhere for recycling. And it comes in a big lorry where they compress. I mean, some of the lorries will compress this, a church full of rubbish into uh, a lorry load, if that makes sense. It only takes your fish and chips, your uh, sweet and sour pork, your residue or your cat food, or something from your frozen tin thing, to contaminate that. Now, that load is actually worth a lot of money. People make money at this. And the council, of course, uh, will make money at things too. It only takes one little bit of it to be contaminated. And the receiver of that who's going to recycle it or reprocess it simply refuses the whole load. So you've probably wasted you know, so many hundred pounds. So all I would say is, if it's clean, stick it in that bin. It's not only Philippa, the blue bin, but we also have Pete Boggs, um, who is the brown bin. Not right. He takes a different kind of product. And should I say, should I be scalped by the mayor on the way out? Philip also takes paper, plastic bottles and tins. Can I just mention mm. the famous, I have a famous plastic bottle story. Does anybody see all these little triangles on the side of your yogurt container, your butter dish, your uh, frozen food tray or something? They are all recyclable. So the manufacturer gets lots of brownie points by telling you they're being green. That makes sense. They're not all recyclable, but they're not all recycled. Because you need a large plant somewhere in China or in India or in Germany to actually cost a billion dollars to actually recycle that type of plastic. In our part of the world, this is the way it was put to me. If it's a plastic and it's a bottle, stick it in the blue bin. Does that make sense? If it's plastic, if it's a bottle and it's plastic, put it in the blue bin. You see, if it's a bottle and it's not plastic, or if it's... I get this mixed up. You understand what I'm saying? We'll, we'll practice it in a minute, actually. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. That's the main one about that. I was putting everything into the bin, and that will be refused. And the other thing, of course, is tin cans. And we're on to Miss Boggs. Oh, Pete, Pete Boggs. Mr. Boggs. As you can gather, he's an Irishman. Pete Boggs. They want you really to put your grass cuttings, your leaves, and your prunings. Always in these things, notice what they don't want you to put in. Because every bin, Big Brother is watching you. And there's a chip on the side of your bin. And when that goes into the lorry, they open it up. And to see that you have put trees in your brown bin. There's a scanner on the back of the bin lorry. You didn't think bin men were so sophisticated, but they are. There's a scanner on the back of the bin lorry reads the thing in your bin. And if he knows that that's a bad load going in, not only does he leave it in your bin, but you get a wee nasty letter. And I wouldn't be surprised in five years' time you get four penalty points, but <laughs> they will contact you. So please try to avoid stones and things that aren't meant to go into Philip or Pete. Okay. One of the things I was going to do was ask for a couple of people to come and help me. Are there any junior church people who would like to come and help me? I could do it with two people, just to we see how this actually works. Two volunteers. Yep, come on ahead. Yep. Yes, Connor, come on ahead. Banana skin will be recyclable because it's not sure if that's supposed to stop, isn't it? 
should be recyclable. So, which bin do you think my bin on the scale should go into? You would put it in that one. Would you put it in that one as well? You'd put it in that one. Ah, now, which of them do you think is right, Kerry? Which one should my banana skin go into? It should go in the ordinary band because it's bio, bio is degradable. It's so it's not grass and it's not hedge cutting, so it doesn't. See, I would put it in there too. That's exactly what I would have done, but I would have gone. It needs to go into. Could I just say, if you want to be really good and put it in a wormery or had a compost thing, that's fine, but if you've got to dump it, put it in the black one. Okay, here's another one. This is a letter I got from him. Okay, he wrote to me and sent me this letter. And I got a, this is the envelope. I'm going to take the stamp off because we recycle the stamps. And there you go, someone who raises money for emissions. And I've now got an envelope, okay? This is paper, alright? Which bin do you think my envelope should go into? You both think it should go into the blue one. So if I were to put in the blue one, that would be right. That's right. But there's a problem. You see, there's a problem with my thing, is there not? It's got to come off. You caught me. And I would have gone and said, I would have gone and said, but in fact that would be wrong. So which bin do you think it should go into? Yep, you're absolutely right. <laughs> I never let this down. <laughs> because not everything that's paper is recyclable because of the gum. So if you've got an envelope, so what it says up here, Anything not shown above, and also envelopes, shredded paper, and so you have to be very careful. Right, next one. You're doing very well so far. This bottle, right? <coughs> Who then do you think I should put this bottle into? Have you any thoughts? The black one. Well, if I was going to put it into it, then that would be the right one. But what else could I do with it? Rather than put it in the bins? Um, oh, you could. What do you think you could do, boys? You could recycle it. Yes, I could. I could go to the bottle bank. Yes. I could go to the bottle bank and I could pop it in to the bottle bank. But as I'm not going to the bottle bank right now, I'll keep it for later on. Okay. One more. There's a newspaper. Or part of the newspaper. I'll give you a vintage. Uh, which bin do you want to put the newspaper in? What do you think is the right place for the newspaper? Hmm? Which one do you want to go for? You see the reputation I have, you're quite right. <laughs> Uh, one of the last things I want us to have a quick look at, Terry, is this. This is not a bin, this is a box. How many of you have one of these boxes? Yeah, some of you have boxes, particularly those of you who don't live in Belfast. And this is run by an organisation called Bryson House, and they have a different approach. It's a kind of curbside box, which takes all the reusable, recyclable stuff in a different kind of way. Isn't that right? It, it does. Actually, for... Belfast and wider than Belfast, an area called Arc 21, in other words, north down, right up as far as Larne, I think, the, all the rubbish goes to Bryson House. So your blue bin stuff goes in, into a bin lorry and then they sort it out. You can imagine the mess, but they make money on it. 
But if they can, these curbside bins are actually given in Belfast to areas of high-density population. So if you live, for example, in a terrace house as I do, although I live outside of Belfast, then you would get a curbside bin. If you live somewhere that you could wheel your bin in and out, that makes sense, and it wouldn't take up too much room in your house, then you'll get a blue bin. So if you've got a curbside bin, if you have a look, it's slightly different because they rely on you sorting it out. And if you live in that area, there'll be a sort of a, how can I put it, there'll be a funny big lorry comes around with bags hanging from it. So they take the stuff that you've sorted out and they sort it out further. Now that has the effect of being very high grade waste. In other words, because you've sorted it out, they don't need to sort it out at Molusk so they get more money for it. And also they get more things. So, for example, you can put glass in that box or you could put clothes in that box or you could put tools which they send an organisation called Tools for Solidarity so can you see that it's a wee bit different all I would say is read the literature or whatever you get from your council and when you want to take stuff to actually recycle you ought to visit one of these plants these are amazing places now they're completely different from what they used to be and you can go and visit some of Belfast Council's recycling centres and get an education just in the visit. Now, we have some of these leaflets with us, all right? That's so right. people can get the leaflets and get the maps and the directions and work it out from there. Also got the... Yes, we have. We have lots of stuff which we will give you later. And it includes things like pens, recycled pens, recycled pencils. We've got um, lots of literature, the Faith Waste Newsletter which you can have copies of. We have stuff from Evangelical Alliance, a special edition which covered quite a bit of this stuff. And Terry and I will be at the back afterwards and you can ask Terry any other questions you want. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank Thank you you very much. Thanks, Terry. Now, the reason we're doing this this morning is we can talk in an abstract way about being here to manage and here to manage the earth that God has given us. And most of us will feel pretty powerless about that. Most of us will feel, well, that's what the government does. You know, that's what the big corporations do. That's really got nothing to do with me. At the very basic level, it does now. And admittedly, it's partly because we're recognising the damage we're doing to the planet that is making us all more aware of it. But even in your home, whether it's using your bins or your curbside boxes or whatever it is, or just making the decision to keep stuff and take it to one of these recycling plants, there is a small way at least in which you can take Christian responsibility for the way in which we use the earth's resources and manage the earth that God has given us. Because that's what he expects us to do. Here's a great song, which we haven't sung here for a long time, I don't think. Uh, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hand hath made. A song that reflects some of the theme of Psalm 8 and some of the great themes of Scripture. A song of praise about God's glorious creation and the glory of God that we see in his creation. So let's stand and sing this together. O Lord my God. I couldn't help thinking about that hymn and about some of the things we talked about earlier. That hymn starts with thinking about the wonder of God's creation and moves us right through the whole idea of the glory of God's love in Jesus Christ. 
And I was thinking about how earlier on we talked about being made from the, the dirt, made for, or made in the image of God, made for, relationship, for glory, to manage. And then also that we've made a mess. Because we know as human beings we've made a mess. What do we call the mess, the behaviour, the attitude? What does the Bible call it? And when we talk about the mess that we have made, or the rubbish, not the physical rubbish that grows in the bins, but all the rubbish that we have in our heads and the things that we do. And the, what's the word for that? The word is sin. And if you think about the fact that one of the problems we face in our society today is just this massive build-up of rubbish and waste. What they're saying is that our waters... Our waterways, the uh, water tables are all in danger of being polluted because we're putting more and more stuff, we're burying it in the ground. If we don't bury it in the ground, we'd be knee-deep in it. uh, And life would be intolerable, disease would be everywhere. It would just be a dreadful place to live if we didn't have some way of managing all of this. And if there wasn't some way of God managing the rubbish of our sin that we have made, can you imagine how utterly dreadful human experience would be. Bad as it is now, how much worse it would be. And can you imagine what God would have to do with it all? Which is why the Bible talks clearly and openly about justice and judgment. But God has, a long time ago, very definitely led a plan and executed that plan for dealing with the rubbish, the human rubbish, the rubbish of bad attitudes and bad thoughts, bad behaviour, which we call sin, which the Bible refers to as sin. Would you turn with me to two verses in the book of Hebrews? You'll find this on page 1207. And it's Hebrews chapter 9. The book of Hebrews is a very interesting book and we we don't have time to begin to explain all the things that are going on here but one of the things that the writer of the book of Hebrews is doing is helping us understand the way in which all the things that happened in the Old Testament when people came together to worship God and made sacrifices all of that was pointing towards something profound the nature of our sinfulness the nature of the need to be put right with God and also what was going to happen in a time to come when Jesus would come. And look at what the writer of the Hebrews says, verse 26 of Hebrews chapter 9, it's on page 1207 on the right hand side of the page, about halfway down. Then Christ would have to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. You know, I was very challenged at some of the stuff that Terry uh, introduced me to some months ago when we first met and got talking about these things. Challenged about how little I really was interested or concerned as a Christian about the responsibility that I can take for the small part that I can play in managing what happens with the stuff that we generate day and daily as we live and exploit the earth that God has given to us. And it made me think about 
how unchallenged I am, how careless I am sometimes, even as a Christian, in thinking about the implications of human sinfulness and my sin, my wrongdoing before God, and just how wonderful it is that God made provision for that to be dealt with. And the provision that God made was in his son, Jesus Christ, coming, living amongst us, showing us how we should live, and then going to the cross and taking our place on the cross and dying the death that we deserve to die because of our sin. Taking our place, bearing the full weight of God's just judgment on our sin. And that's the provision that God has made. And that is a wonderful provision. Because in that, God deals with all the rubbish of my sin as I come and accept what he has done for me and follow Jesus Christ, trusting him as my saviour and as my master, the one I'm going to follow, the one I'm going to commit my life to forever. And if you think about what your home would be like if you just lived in it and nothing was ever thrown out through the door, nothing. It wouldn't take terribly long until it would be an impossible place to live. And if you can imagine what the earth must look like to God when he sees not just the terrible mess we make of the physical earth, but the terrible mess we make of friendships, of relationships, of family life, the terrible mess we make of relationships between countries and people, and the wars and the killing and the unkindness, it must look gross to God. And yet, rather than simply destroy us all, He does something very generous, very gracious, very loving, and makes it possible for us to be forgiven. And I was just thinking that what He does essentially is in the great big bin of His forgiveness, He takes our sin, and that's where it goes when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. And that hymn that we sang tied together these great themes of the glory of God's creation and the glory of his salvation to us in Christ. And I think it's important this morning that we tie all these things together in our heads because they belong together. We don't come to church simply to remember that Jesus died on the cross. We come to church to listen to scripture, to think again about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus who died for our sin. And we've got to continue to try and bring all of these things together.